Welcome to the Nourished with PCOS podcast. I'm your host, Sam Abbott, registered dietitian nutritionist and PCOS nutrition expert. I'm here to help you learn how to manage PCOS and support your hormones while also having a healthy relationship with food in your body. You can improve PCOS symptoms and labs without dieting. Get ready to feel better with PCOS and leave diet culture in the rearview mirror. Have you ever just felt confused about whether or not you have insulin resistance? If so, today's episode is for you. Hi, my name is Sam. I'm a registered dietitian specializing in PCOS, and I'm so excited that you're tuning in today. Thank you so much for being here. I am just thinking about all the conversations I've had in my DMs over the past couple of weeks from people who are really confused about insulin resistance. And when I talk about insulin resistance in my posts, they're not really sure if that information applies to them. And if you are in that same camp, then that's exactly why I decided to record today's episode. And the topic of insulin resistance is of special importance to me being a PCOS dietitian because when it comes to nutrition, a lot of the nutrition focus is around decreasing inflammation and managing insulin resistance. So I could totally understand why you would feel confused if I'm talking about it and you don't really know if it applies to you. So let's jump in. I'm going to talk about um, some of the lab recommendations and some of the signs and symptoms of insulin resistance with PCOS. I do want to give a little bit of a disclaimer. I am not a doctor. This is not medical advice. I'm based in the U.S., so if you're not in the U.S., I'm not sure how applicable this would be to you uh, because I am going to talk about some labs. It is outside of my scope of practice to diagnose anyone with anything because I'm a registered dietitian. That's not really the purpose of today's episode. The purpose of today's episode is for you to have a better understanding of how insulin resistance is diagnosed so that you can have that background knowledge when you are trying to talk to your doctor. Um, What a lot of people tell me is they were told they don't have insulin resistance because maybe they got their blood sugar checked with their annual labs and it was normal. And that is not the only way we evaluate insulin resistance. And they actually updated the PCOS guidelines to give more clarity around this. But you can definitely have insulin resistance and still have a normal fasting blood sugar. So let's jump in to chatting about everything. So when it comes to insulin resistance with PCOS, a large majority of people have insulin resistance. It's kind of like part of having PCOS. And for people that don't actually have insulin resistance, um, we do see in research that somebody with PCOS might be more predisposed to developing it later on. And I think that's why with traditional Western medicine, you don't see a lot of healthcare providers nitpicking like, do you have insulin resistance or do you not? Because it's kind of seen as being part of the overall picture with PCOS. Now, 
That does not mean every single person with PCOS has insulin resistance, but just as a whole, it's something to be aware of. And when we talk about people being more predisposed to developing it, I just had this situation with one of my clients that when I had my brick and mortar practice in Charlotte many years ago, she had extensive labs done, nothing indicated insulin resistance. Um, She was one of the only clients I've ever had that had all the labs done and truly no signs or symptoms or labs indicating insulin resistance. And she just checked in with me recently and said that she now has elevated blood sugar. And this can be part of the progression with PCOS. So I do think kind of having a general understanding of what insulin resistance is and how it can impact your hormones and what labs you should be checking in on on a somewhat regular basis is pretty important. Um, So about how many people with PCOS have insulin resistance, I tried to go digging around in studies and the percentages really vary. I've heard a statistic thrown around about 70%. And I looked at a lot of different studies and some, the range was from 65% to 95%. Some of these studies were, you know, 10 or 15 years old. And I think now there's so much more awareness around PCOS. I am interested in like newer research. And there was one study, I'll put it in the show notes, um, but they found something interesting. Trigger warning, I'm going to talk about BMI. This study did, and a lot of studies do, divide up their data points by BMI. Um, I think historically, people have thought of insulin resistance as kind of associated with weight. And what we know now about PCOS is that... um, insulin resistance can occur independent of weight, but they did separate out their findings. And they found that in folks who had a BMI less than 25, 83% of them had insulin resistance. And in folks that had a BMI of 25 or greater, 93% had insulin resistance with all of these participants have PCOS. When we talk about weight and insulin resistance, There are so many factors that could lead to higher weights being more likely to have insulin resistance just from a percentage perspective. I mean, insulin resistance can cause you to feel exhausted, extreme fatigue, um, hunger, carb cravings, sleep issues, like all of these things could impact weight. So... I never look at this as insulin, like you, your weight caused insulin resistance. And we we see that in, in research too. We don't really know what causes insulin resistance with PCOS. We do see, again, that it occurs independent of weight. We don't see with PCOS that like your lifestyle choices or your diet is causing insulin resistance. Um, But insulin resistance can make you feel like crap. And so I think it makes sense if you're exhausted, you're probably not going to want to be as active or have energy to 
participate in health promoting activities, depending on how you define that. So that could account for some of the small differences with BMI um, data. I just wanted to give that little caveat because I think if you were Googling this, like uh, almost every research piece of research is separated out by BMI. Um, But I never, when I'm working with a client, I just assume that someone has insulin resistance unless they have labs to prove otherwise. Okay. So in a nutshell, insulin resistance with PCOS affects many people. So how do you know if you have insulin resistance, if you wanted to get like a formal diagnosis, which we're going to talk about that at the end of this episode, but There are some physical signs of insulin resistance that can be pretty obvious indicators. Having skin tags is one. Having something called acanthosis nigricans is another one. These are velvety patches, dark patches of skin that can occur on the back of your neck or on your elbows or on your inner thighs. That is a very clear marker of insulin resistance. Um, The way you're feeling, if you are always hungry, just like this primal hunger that no matter what you eat, you're still feeling hungry after a meal, that's an indicator of insulin resistance. Um, Sugar cravings is another indicator. We have to be really careful when we talk about cravings and insulin resistance because Cravings can also come from not eating enough, not eating enough carbohydrates, being in this diet mentality. But if you feel like you have a lot of food freedom and you're still always craving sugar, that's another indicator. Um, Chronic yeast infections is one. Sleep issues is another one. Of course, with sleep issues, we also have to look at lifestyle and you know, what are your general sleep habits. But if you feel like you're trying to do all the right things to get good sleep and you're still having sleep issues, that could definitely be an indicator of insulin resistance. Um, Elevated triglycerides. And that's something that we see a lot with PCOS. Like maybe you get just your standard lipid panel or blood work done, you know, on an annual basis and everything looks fairly normal, but you have elevated triglycerides. That's a pretty good indicator that underlying insulin resistance is going on. And then, of course, we also see fatty liver. A lot of times with fatty liver, um, which the first stages of an an indication that you might have fatty liver is just having elevated liver enzymes on your just normal labs that you get done. Uh, A lot of times we see this more when blood sugar is elevated. Um, So there's not really a question of, do I have insulin resistance? Like usually people know that before they see um, elevated liver enzymes, but sometimes not. So before you even get into actual blood sugar labs, those are some things that if you have some of that going on, it's an indicator of insulin resistance. Then we get into actual labs. And I think getting labs done, or at least in my experience, really for myself, I don't even have PCOS, but also with my clients who have PCOS, is that I think 
a lot of getting labs ordered depends on your healthcare provider and, you know, are they aware that the PCOS guidelines just got updated? And then what is their stance on looking into labs? Some healthcare providers have a very firm stance of if it's not going to change your treatment option, then why are we even looking into this lab? And then other healthcare providers do seem to be a little more liberal and just, you know, if you want more information about what's going on in your body, they're more open to ordering labs. So some of this is is related to individual healthcare providers, but um, the PCOS guidelines were updated this year and they do give specific guidance here. And I'm going to read what they say in a minute. But first, I want to talk about some of the specific labs that we can use to evaluate insulin resistance and kind of what these labs mean and some things that you should know about them. So probably one of the most commonly known labs for evaluating insulin resistance is fasting glucose. Or when we say glucose, sometimes we use the word blood sugar. And this can be taken, you know, just with a simple finger stick. But often if you get a regular physical and they pull labs every year, even with just like your metabolic panel, usually there's a fasting glucose in there. And a lot of procedures and protocols are set up within healthcare systems of that's kind of like the first check. And then if that's abnormal, there might be some additional testing ordered. But your fasting glucose is just what is your blood sugar running at that one moment in time. So it's great for just like a spot check, but it's really not telling us your full picture because you could be sick or have an awful night of sleep and maybe your blood sugar is running just a little higher than it normally is. Or your blood sugar could be running lower depending on, you know, what you had for dinner the night before, or a lot of different things can go into like what your blood sugar is running at that moment in time. So it's great for a spot check, especially if you do have insulin resistance and it comes back as elevated. It can be just an uh, indicator that, you know, now we need to look into this further or do additional testing. Your A1C hemoglobin A1c is a three-month average of your blood sugar. And so that gives us a better idea of what your big picture is like. Um, And I do see this in my clients where sometimes they will have a fasting blood sugar that's within normal range, and then their A1c will come back a little higher. So that's a great lab for... um, Just kind of like seeing what's going on overall, it is a little more heavily weighted to what's been going on in the most recent month prior to labs being taken. One difficulty with getting an A1C lab drawn is that depending on what type of healthcare office you're going to, sometimes that's not a lab that they will pull until you have an abnormal fasting glucose. I do see in my clients now that there's so much more awareness around insulin resistance and PCOS that um, my clients are getting this drawn on a more regular basis. But those are two of the most 
common labs. So then we have fasting insulin, and that's an actual measure of your insulin levels. And it's not really a lab that we like to look at by itself. We really like to look at that lab in relation to what's also going on with your blood sugar because those two labs work together. Um, And that's why sometimes people, my clients will be like, well, I'm really worried because a year ago I got my fasting insulin level checked and then I got it checked this year and it's higher. And it's you have to look at it in relation to what's going on with your blood sugar and they ha- if you want to really do the digging with that you have to get those two labs drawn together so that's your fasting insulin level and that's not a standard lab that is typically pulled i'm going to talk about that in a minute um and then lastly is an oral glucose tolerance test i think that people are most familiar with this during pregnancy when you go in to drink the sugary drink um we can use that to evaluate insulin resistance even outside of pregnancy. And um, so you would go in and drink the sugary drink. And then after two hours, they would check your blood sugar and see where it falls. And um, let me go, let me jump into reading the formal recommendations in the updated guidelines for you, uh, because you'll see where that oral glucose tolerance test comes into play. Okay, so... If you actually have the guidelines, what I'm reading from is on page 27 and then going into page 28. Healthcare professionals and people with PCOS should be aware that regardless of age and BMI, people with PCOS have an increased risk of impaired fasting glucose, impaired glucose tolerance, and type 2 diabetes. Glycemic status should be assessed at diagnosis in all adults and adolescents with PCOS. Glycemic status should be reassessed every one to three years based on additional individual risk factors for diabetes. And then flipping over to page 28, healthcare professionals, adults, and adolescents with PCOS and their first-degree relatives should be aware of the individual risk of diabetes and the need for regular glycemic assessment. So that's just giving you some general recommendations. You know, look into this when you're diagnosed and then assess every one to three years depending on your risk factors. Now we get into testing. Healthcare professionals and people with PCOS should recommend the 75-gram oral glucose tolerance test as the most accurate test to assess glycemic status in PCOS regardless of BMI. So I think, again, regardless of BMI, that's very important because, because of a lot of weight bias in the PCOS space, a lot of people at lower weights or in smaller bodies are told that they don't have insulin resistance because if they did, they would be at a higher weight. And that is not necessarily true. The guidelines also say, if an oral glucose tolerance test cannot be performed, fasting plasma glucose and or a hemoglobin A1c could be considered noting significantly reduced accuracy. 
So I think this point is really important if you've ever been told, well, your blood sugar was normal or your A1C was normal, so you don't have insulin resistance. Because what we see is that an oral glucose tolerance test is the most accurate way to evaluate and or rule out insulin resistance. And then the last point in the glycemic testing section that I wanted to make sure you are aware of is that they state insulin resistance is a pathophysiological factor in PCOS. However, clinically available insulin assays so they're talking about testing a fasting insulin level. Uh, Clinically available insulin assays are of limited clinical relevance and are not recommended in routine care. So they are basically making a stance in the guidelines. We're not testing fasting insulin here. And this is definitely a topic of conversation in the PCOS space. I find that if you're seeing more of a functional practitioner who's doing more in-depth labs or you're seeing a healthcare provider that has more of their own practice, they do tend to order fasting insulin levels, whereas outside of that, um, a lot of times there's a lot of pushback about getting a fasting insulin level drawn. And... um, the reason I say it was it's a big discussion is because when these guidelines were being approved, I know there was feedback submitted that some people wanted a formal recommendation to also test insulin levels. And I think there was just some concern about the quality of the test and also the fact that if you're looking at an insulin level, you need to be looking at glucose anyway. Um, There's some research that if your fasting insulin level is above 10, then that is an indicator of insulin resistance. But having said that, and I think this is why it's not really recommended to be used, I've, I've had clients that have elevated blood sugar they have prediabetes or even I'm thinking of one specific client where her A1C was right on the border of type 2 diabetes. And it just so happened the day that she got her labs drawn, her insulin level was a four or five. And so I think, you know, it's kind of an unreliable lab to just look at by itself. Um, I think that's a big point here. Um, There's also a calculation that can be used and is often used called a HOMA IR. I say often used, a lot of times it's used more in a functional capacity. Um, It's called a HOMA IR. If you look up research about um, impaired glucose tolerance or insulin resistance, like in PubMed, a lot of times they are using this HOMA IR calculation In order to use the calculation, which you can look it up online if you were interested, you have to have a fasting glucose and a fasting insulin that were pulled together with the same set of labs. And you can plug it into this equation. It'll tell you your degree of insulin resistance. There's some argument that instead of putting people through an oral glucose tolerance test where you have to sit 
and drink this drink, which can be unpleasant for some people, and then wait for two hours, would it not just be more simple to just include insulin with these sets of labs and use other ways to evaluate insulin, that insulin lab to determine insulin resistance? Um, However, that was not included in the recommendations. And I think that's really important because when you're seeing a healthcare provider, they have standards in which they practice by. When I was a dietitian working in the ICU and we were ordering a tube feeding or a TPN, we followed standards and recommendations. Like I couldn't just go rogue and be like, oh, well, I personally think that we should do this. So I'm going to go against the guidelines because if something were to happen, I'm on my own a little bit because I didn't follow the guidelines. And so I think that's really important to understand if you're going to have a conversation with your doctor of just understanding like the guidelines are, they're not, they didn't just leave out insulin levels. They openly said, we don't recommend testing them. We recommend a oral glucose tolerance test. So that is everything of what the guidelines say. So if you're somebody and you feel confused about whether or not you have insulin resistance and this episode has given you a little bit of clarity, should you pursue getting labs drawn? I just want to give you a couple of things to think about. I do think that it is important to monitor regularly labs like your A1C and your Cholesterol labs and liver labs, just so if something changes, you're aware of, oh, for the past five years, these numbers have been about the same and now they're higher. I think that can be really helpful. I think that if you're trying to address a symptom that could be caused by insulin resistance, but it could also be caused by something else, I could totally see wanting to dig in deeper and be like, okay, I definitely want to know on a lab level, do I have insulin resistance? Like if you have a missing period, that could be caused by PCOS, that could be caused by thyroid issues, that could be caused by issues with your pituitary gland, like maybe your doctor's going to pull a prolactin. So I think if you're getting all these other labs drawn, I could see wanting to dig in a little deeper with insulin resistance. Um When would it be, like, if you don't really know if you have insulin resistance and you're thinking about asking for an oral glucose tolerance test, when would it be, I don't want to say not necessary because I do believe in body autonomy and, like, you deserve to know what's going on in your body, but some things to think about. Is this going to change how I'm managing PCOS right now? Um, usually general nutrition and lifestyle management doesn't really change, you know, too much. I hear very stigmatizing things of like, oh, well, if you don't have insulin resistance, then you have this type of PCOS. So you need to eat more and you need to rest and things like that. But if you have insulin resistance, then you need to cut out carbs and do this and that. And that type of advice is so harmful. Like everyone needs to be eating enough. Everyone needs to rest if you are putting too much stress on your body. Like everyone needs to be thinking about taking care of themselves in that way. 
So is it going to change too much how you're managing PCOS right now? Um, Another thing too is that insulin resistance is something that everyone with PCOS should be thinking about in the back of their mind if you're thinking about nutrition and managing PCOS just because of that predisposition to developing it. So um, there is kind of a school of thought of why are we digging into these labs if it's not really going to change that much with the formal medical management of PCOS just on a regular basis? And I think that's only up that's only, you know, up to you to decide. I have some clients who they don't have accessible health care. They're paying out of pocket for labs. They have a general idea that they do have insulin resistance. They have skin tags. They have acanthosis nigricans. Like they're they're good with just moving forward. They don't need that numerical data like right at this moment in time. Then I have other clients who are like, I am a numbers person and I want to know what's going on in my body. Um, And then in that case, they do decide that they want to get labs done. Um, And when I say labs done, I'm more talking about trying to get an oral glucose tolerance test and really getting that definitive, like, yes, I have insulin resistance and here's where my numbers are. I do agree with the guidelines in general of like just a general assessment of glycemic status every one to three years of just kind of keeping tabs on what's going on. But so kind of my explanation was more like, do I need to jump and get labs right now to figure out what's going on? Um, well, I hope that that was helpful and gave you a little bit of clarity. Um, I just want to remind you that you deserve respectful health care independent of your body size. So if you want to know what your numbers are, just you deserve better advice outside of what I can tell by looking at you that you don't need to get this lab drawn. Like that's not an okay explanation if you're trying to have a conversation with your healthcare provider. All right. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today. This was a really fun conversation. Um, I'm looking forward to sending it to anybody that asked me um, for a little bit of a reference point again. This was not medical advice. I'm not telling you what to do with your labs. I just wanted to give you my perspective as a dietitian and also give you some background information to hopefully help you in your conversations with your healthcare provider. All right. Well, thank you so much for tuning in and I hope you have an awesome day. Thanks for listening to the Nourished with PCOS podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe so you can catch new episodes. I'd also be so grateful if you left a review and rating for the pod as well. See you next Wednesday.